the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third window from the right Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. <laughs> Chumbler time. It's a rum time. Yes, and uh, this podcast is a celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan, being me, and the man himself, being Adam Terrell. Motorbike beaked. <laughs> I'm going to have to release a book of all these uh, intros you do. I like them. <laughs> Look, Adam, we are living in unprecedented times at the moment. And in fact, our guest today is back for an unprecedented third appearance on the show. <laughs> I was just I about to say, the- appearing on the show is hardly unprecedented. But <laughs> glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so after initially joining us to discuss Shinya Tsukamoto um, and then returning to cover... Was it Crazy Thunder Road and the films of Sogo Ishii? Um, yeah, we've now got the pleasure of the mighty Tom Mess back on the pod to talk all about Nobuhiko Obayashi. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Tom. Thanks for asking me back. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a fitting um, thing that you've joined us again because you have a commentary on one of the discs, don't you, on the upcoming box set? Um, That's true, yeah. I can be heard yakking all the way through his motorbike, Her Island. <laughs> which is actually my personal favourite of all four of them. I don't know how you feel, but uh, that's mine. I couldn't think of a better person. The moment uh, I was planning the release, I thought, oh, Tom's definitely got to do this because it's motorbikes and it's Takuichi Diki. You know, it's a perfect Tom film of any I could think of. Amazing. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> it is supposed to be a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, before we get started on Obayashi and, you know, we'll we'll get stuck right into it, I just wanted to to ask if you had any information about, I saw an announcement the other day that you are officially releasing a, a book on V-Cinema. It's in the works. Yes, that's entirely correct. And it's a book that's been, uh, uh, it's been simmering. I've been working on for a very long time. Uh, it's actually my PhD dissertation. Uh, which I started back in 2011, believe it or not. Um, that's when I entered Leiden University. And um, yeah, spent uh, about two years in, in Tokyo initially to uh, to do research for that, which is now already a good 10 years ago. Wow. And um, yeah, it took until I think 2017 until I actually had it completely finished and submitted defended it early 2018 successfully and um i've sort of been chipping away at the manuscript ever since and right. uh, and of course looking looking for publishers as well which uh, from my experience of having uh, had you know having been published with uh, with mainstream publishers um as well as with a, a company that doesn't normally do books, which is Arrow, which briefly sort of like dipped its toes into publishing books. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the academic publishing world is uh, uh, turgid. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's use that particular word. So it, okay. it, took, uh, it took a while to actually get a response from anybody, basically. 
contacting several publishers. And then uh, just to, just to I guess this is illustrative of how these things work, just by chance at the, at the you know, gathering of people um, around an acquaintance of mine here in Tokyo, just you know, have, getting together for a drink. And one of the people was uh, a former academic who had been the teacher of an old colleague of mine at Leiden University. And who now, who now was uh, scouting, sort of like scouting projects, recommending projects for one of the major academic publishers in the UK. Wow! And I was talking Bingo. about all of this, and he was like, "Okay, you know, I I need to pitch projects to them, so you know, send me send me some stuff, and we'll do it." And that's how it finally got off the ground. So you know, it's not what you do; it's who you know, really. I love that. Yeah. What is it they say? Luck is um, when preparation meets opportunity. And that's exactly it. Yeah. You had it all written, yeah. all ready to go. And then suddenly, bang, it's there. Yeah, that's important. You know, uh, Sam Fuller also said this, you know, if somebody comes along and, and asks, you know, what have you got? Then you'd better be able to pull a manuscript out of your drawer. And really. <laughs> so that was kind of how how this how this came about finally. But it's yeah, it's been a project that's, as I said, I've been working on for basically 10 years. Amazing. And, uh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's basically the uh, history. Well, not just the history of of V cinema, straight to video filmmaking in Japan, but also sort of like how how could people come out of this really sort of artistically limited industry, which only cared to sell videotapes to Japanese rental stores? How could people like Nikkei and Kurosawa and Aoyama become like international film festival auteurs? That shouldn't be possible. Absolutely. Yeah. So Incredible. it's it's looking you, into that process as well. Do you have a, a title and a release date yet, or is it still yeah, still under title, discussion? The, the title is Japanese Japanese film and the challenge of video. Um, and uh, if we're lucky, because even when you have a publisher, things can go very slowly with academic publishing because you got the peer review process sure. and all of that. If we're lucky, it'll be next year. Amazing. Well, I can't wait. I'm sure we'll have you back on when that comes out. But that Thanks, sounds really, yeah, really cool. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking forward to uh, another Nippon Connection. I think when was the last time you did one of your your uh, V Cinema talks at Nippon Connection? It's been a few years, obviously during COVID and all. But Nippon Connection, it was I did the the, the thing together with Alex Salton, who's also uh, mm. very knowledgeable on the topic, as well as on the topic of what we're discussing today. Uh, so that was 2018, I guess, 18 or 17. Yeah, I was there. I, I remember it. Uh, it was quite fun. I guess uh, the next one would be a tie-up with a book. That would be very nice, yeah. <laughs> Sounds very good. <laughs> if Marion's listening. <laughs> I'm sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get diving straight into it then. So here we are to celebrate the upcoming box set that Adam has put together, the uh, 80s Katakawa years of Nobuhiko Obayashi. Adam, do you want to just intro this with a bit of like how this one came together? Obviously, you'd done the anti-war trilogy um, about this time last year, wasn't it? Was it December time? Yeah, actually, the the anti-war trilogy came about because I couldn't do this tri- this release. This release was planned many years before the anti-war trilogy and the publishing company who I bought the rights from uh, Kadokawa as in as in the name of the Kadokawa box is uh, 
I was not so easy to work with, to be honest. And um, I got so stressed out work, trying to work with him for uh, the longest number of time that I just sort of gave up. But since I'd put so much effort into making all the contacts with, uh, with, with people like Aaron and all that and talking about the release for Obayashi, I thought, well, I'll just uh, work, do the anti-war years as well because I'd already released Hanagatami. So right. in essence, this, this release has been many years coming. And once the anti-war years was out and it did pretty well, I thought, well, I, let me try to uh, go back to Kadokawa and uh, continue the negotiations, which again took another year or so. And, uh, you know, but I'm glad that uh, it did get finalized before our mighty pound uh, decided to crash into the ocean, <laughs> which would have made things a lot more expensive. Uh, <laughs> so. I'm glad it did just get sorted uh, before then. And yeah, it, it took a long time, but uh, it arrived with all of us, with, with Tom uh, uh, and, and myself in Japan uh, last week and with you a little earlier. So it's uh, looking at it, it's, it's really something that uh, I'm glad I, I finally did. Uh, but it did cost a lot of money and it was a lot of stress. <laughs> <laughs> it is gorgeous, though. So it's a collection. It's got School in the Crosshairs from 1981, uh, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time from 1983, uh, the Island Closest to Heaven from 1984 and His Motorbike, Her Island from 1986. Yes, all roads lead to Takeuchi Riki. So uh, from Thomas V Cinema to uh, Bat Rack in a Circle to Obayashi, I think we should just have called this uh, All Roads Lead to Ricky. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Look, uh, Tom's obviously done the commentary for His Motorbike, Her Island. And I think maybe if we just go through them chronologically, just to get his thoughts on the rest of them. Um but we'll try and keep it brief. I know we tend to go long on these things, so I won't just ramble on and on forever. Um, what I will say is that I had seen his motorbike, Her Island, before, um, just in my kind of travels through Japanese cinema. Um, but the rest of these were all brand new to me. So when you sent me the check discs, this was the first time I was watching them. Um, so it's a really kind of amazing experience for me. But yeah, so if you start with School in the Crosshairs. So um, this was kind of... Is it Katakawa was really the, like the the kind of forefront of idol movies, wasn't he? He was the like uh, the main person producing these idol films in Japan. Yeah, that's true. He really uh, Kadokawa Haruki Kadokawa because there's two there's two Kadokawas brothers, and Haruki was the one who just you know took the took the step to create within the Kadokawa Publishing Empire a, a, a film production company. And this is like the mid to late 70s when Japanese film was completely in the doldrums and everybody sort of laughed and said, you, you, must, be, you must be insane. <laughs> but, you know, we very quickly managed to turn that into a, a huge success, uh, mainly because he approached making and especially distributing and promoting films very differently from how the Japanese film industry had done it, the major studios had done it. So he mm. followed the examples of how First of all, how Hollywood blockbusters were being um, released and promoted. And then secondly, how uh, foreign films had been released in Japan. Because that was like a sort of like an alternative circuit of, of releasing, an alternative style of releasing. And he sort of went for, you know, that, that existing network rather than the, you know, the Japanese film studio network. So, um, and, and well, yeah, as you say, one of the, his, you know, his biggest uh, successes was creating this structure of the idol film. 
Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the idol idea goes back uh, quite a few years before uh, Kadokawa had this idea, uh, but he really capitalized on it and, and uh, created sort of like the infrastructure for that kind of, you know, multimedia talent uh, concept. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he yeah he basically set up these you know, these three idols, these three Kadokawa idols, who appear <laughs> and reappear in in the four films in the box set. Yeah, I was going to say. So I was doing a bit of research, and they were saying that it was natural that Obayashi and Kadokawa were going to work together because um, Obayashi uh, kind of pioneered this thing. I, I saw this term called lollicom or the Lolita complex. Um, this idea of kind of young girls presented in a semi-sexualized manner um, that he, he kind of pioneered with House. You think that's fair? Mm. I'm not sure if he's the, the pioneer of that, but you could, I guess, you could say that that film is one of the one of the like building blocks of that Lolicon movement. I think it mm. became it be- really became a thing in manga a few years yes. later. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess he, he contributed to sort of probably, I think what he did was just take the, like some of the templates of the shoujo manga and the shoujo novels, which basically go back to the earliest days of the 20th century and uh, s- sort of fuse that with, uh, with commercial, com- what was already commercial in, in film. Including like the you know the the the, the somewhat sexualization of of young talent. <laughs> One of the main blocks of Japanese uh, pop culture uh, throughout the years, uh, run by and Kadokawa is uh, the proper Hollywood uh, drug party people, uh, complete opposite to the usual suits that ran uh, the studios in Japan. Comes this proper party animal that. Uh, got done for mass for cocaine and uh used to put uh, young girls <laughs> into films it's quite a sordid affairs isn't it and uh with kadokawa but it made uh, quite interesting films uh, and uh <laughs> well because he'd so he'd already worked with um hiloko yakushimaru hadn't he so he'd done um sailor suit machine gun um he did uh, kinji fukusaku's film as well didn't he legend of the eight samurai um yeah, that's that's also is. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, uh, Yakushimaru was uh, was sort of the first Kadokawa idol, and uh, she she got to be the the co-star with Ken Takakura in what was I think the second second Kadokawa film, Proof of the Wild. Right. And she, the whole auditioning process, of course, very wisely was was turned into a media spectacle by Mr. Kadokawa. <laughs> You know, it was featured in in TV shows and on in the Kadokawa magazines and everything. So she was already famous before she'd even been selected. And uh, yeah, that film became quite a hit. And then they put her in more films and everything. Basically, she did and everything she appeared in or uh, appeared on, like magazine covers, just sold very, very well. And with that success, he, he figured, well, if we have one Kadokawa idol, we may as well have two or three. <laughs> and that was, you know, Tomio Tomio Harada was the was the next one, who was the, the the lead actress from uh, from the, the Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Tomio Harada. Oh, so of course she was she was yeah. Kadokawa Idol number two, so to speak. 
And her, and her sister is uh, the lead of uh, her, his motorbike. Yes, indeed. Kept it all in the family. <laughs> yes, uh, but, uh, it, you know, it, you've got a lot more of the uh, cute and uh, sort of young, uh, innocent idol of uh, the earlier films from this set. And then, you know, Harara, uh, her sister is the, quite naked in a more sordid fashion. And to a point, actually, that... Uh, I believe I'm I in I remember reading or, or it is in one of the interviews on the disc that um she didn't know that uh they were going to have all these nude scenes or something in the film and was sort of pressured into it and that sort of broke the relationship between uh them and Kadokawa Pictures uh apparently so it's uh it's interesting to look at all these films in the box in that respect as well like uh, the, s- the sisters and the way that the reason why uh Obayashi and also Kadokawa and the Harada sisters uh fell apart yeah, that is fascinating. I was going to say, because this, I mean, this was their first collaboration together, but I think this particular story, this was remade over and over and over again, wasn't it? The School in the Crosshairs has been, there was like TV shows, um, there's animated films, there was other live That's, that's, that's girl, girl, girl Who Left Through Time. Wasn't School in the Crosshairs as well? I don't think so. It might have been a TV show, which which wouldn't, but it doesn't come to mind. Was it, Tom? Do you remember? No, I, not, not to my knowledge, but yeah, uh, Girl Who Left Through Time, of course, became all sorts of, of properties, but it was based on a, on a novel in itself, which was also quite yes. difficult for Kadokawa. And Sailor Suit and Machine Gun also became a, a, a series. And basically what Kadokawa would do is um, sort of like the next idol in line would then star in, in the TV series. Like Sailor Suit and Machine Gun, the movie, starred uh, Hiroko Yakushimaru, you know, the already established famous Kadokawa idol. And then they made the TV version of it. And then the, the lead in that one, the same role, was played by Tomoyo Harada. And when that was successful, he put Tomoyo Harada in the lead role of The Girl Who Left Through Time. Right? So he had sort of like these various steps into launching his idols into, into you know, the, the top level, which was the feature films. Has anyone written the book on Kadokawa? Because I'm sure that sounds like there's a lot of... Uh, well, I mentioned Alex, Alex Salton uh, earlier, and his book, The End of Japanese Cinema, has uh, two uh, very detailed chapters on uh, on the history of Kadokawa. And most, of, actually, most of what I know comes from his book. Okay. So I, I, owe, I owe him quite a, uh, quite a debt. And, you know, if you enjoy my commentary on his motorbiker island, so do you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Kadokawa no. back in the news now as well because they're all, all in more scandals to do with the Olympics and the head of Kadokawa is now being uh, investigated for, for money laundering and the such during the Olympics. So they're, they're all, they've got quite a sordid, sordid past uh, in all different aspects, uh, but they are yeah, one of the, the biggest still today as a production company and uh, cinema owners and all that and publishing company, a really, really massive company. But yeah, Haruki was, was uh, quite amazing in the way that he changed made it more Hollywood, I guess, uh, in, in, a, in a way. And the media mix strategy, strategy is, was, was fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, and also I think well, the, the, whole, the whole, you know, the, the production committee system with all these different uh, roles divided among different companies in the making and distributing and promoting of a film, that's basically what he pioneered. So, you know, his business model still is the, the business model of the Japanese film industry today essentially 
That's a crazy fact. <laughs> I like that though. I'm, the film itself, we haven't even talked about kind of what it's about, which is absolutely bonkers. It's about, about like a, a young schoolgirl who has to defend the school from essentially like extraterrestrials. Um, and then there's another student that has psychic abilities that kind of wants to uh, transform the school into this kind of conformist. Uh, it's almost like f- uh, like a fascist kind of regime, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, it's it's mental. I was um, I was quite blown away by how how bonkers the story went, even for an Obayashi film, having done House and stuff like that. I don't know. I just what what do you guys think of the film itself? Uh, I think that if you've seen the anti-war films that Adam put out and then you go back to this film and as you say, you know, the, basically the, the the influence of the alien invaders is to start like a Nazi regime in a school. So mm. there's really suddenly you see these long spanning connections and these long spanning concerns that Obayashi had throughout his career. <laughs> and they weren't as overt as the later anti-war films, but he he managed to work them into these very commercial concepts. Yeah, I mean, he was asked to make a film just like House, and he, he did, within this massive studio system with these idols and all that, managed to put in all those elements. Uh, it's It's got a great mix of uh, both sort of depth and, uh, you know, s- sort of surreal, visual, over-the-top... Uh, superficiality so it's a sort of it's a very really great mix for a film and also uh fun to have uh makoto tezuka uh, in one of the the lead roles uh, who just after that went on to make the legend of the stardust brothers so um it's got a nice connection there um with it all roads lead to adam (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that was this his first role then because yeah he, he appears in one of the kind of group scenes doesn't he He's one of the, the, he's the sort of head of the opposite side of the classroom, the sort of intelligent, uh, he wears the glasses, he's the dorky guy who <laughs> is, uh, wants to be the head of the, the, the school and end up sort of starting that sort of Nazi regime uh, with the, the girl from, from, uh, from space. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a strange role because he must have been about just, I think, of that age, I think like uh, 18 or 19 at the time because um, he was 23 three or so when he made Stardust Brothers in 84, 85. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, very, very young. Uh, and uh, I think it was when he was making lots of 8mm films that uh, people like Obayashi would have, I guess, seen and, and liked and, and then therefore got cast for it. But it's uh, yeah, it's interesting to, to look at today. For sure. Well, yeah, I, I love the film. Um, the disc itself. So you've got an audio commentary by, is it Aaron Gero? Gero? Um I wasn't aware of him before listening to it, but yeah, it was really cool. He's uh, one of the foremost uh, sort of heads on, on Obayashi. Uh, he's one of the, uh, he's a professor at Yale University and um, has been brought over Obayashi many times to America, to Yale. And actually just this week has uh, Obayashi's daughter, Chigumi, is with him in Yale as they're exploring a lot of Obayashi's commercials in some sort of lecture uh, or lecture series. And uh, yeah, he's written a lot about Obayashi and he did the booklet for uh, the anti-war years. Um, but yes, he's, uh, he's helped out for, for on this project as well. Right. Yeah, there's also an interview with Chigumi on the disc, which is really cool. It's just nice to see. 
Yeah, they they, I, they probably could have spoken for for hours, so I had to sort of <laughs> cut them a little short uh, for that. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, interesting. I mean, I couldn't have had the release without him as well, be, considering his connection to uh, Chigumi and Obayashi himself. So it's a great person. But but we're we're here uh, to talk about uh, his motorbike for this this episode. So uh, I think we should uh, focus more on uh, on the motorcycles and uh, Ricky and. Uh, and, and Tom on this, we will have many more episodes to talk about. I think the other ones for sure, but uh, I think we should delve into motor motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no problem. Straight over to 1986 then for a 1950s throwback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on, go off, Tom. This is uh, <laughs> this is this is it. This is this is my favorite piece in the whole set. I love this film. I think it's amazing. It blew me away the first time I saw it, but seeing it again. Yeah, I just I just love every part of it. Yeah, I've seen several reactions to it that basically feel the same way that you do. Like people are really mm. like, oh, I love this film, and I think from the beginning it had that effect on a lot of people. Um, Kadokawa released it as a double bill with a film that was like the official tenth anniversary movie of Kadokawa, which Kadokawa himself directed, and. Uh, his motorbiker island as a result of that decision became sort of like the the, the b picture on that release hmm. uh, but at the same time it's it's really spawned a, a bit of a cult among motorcycle enthusiasts and it's it's that still continues today like every year there's like a, a biker meetup at uh, at the island in the inland sea that was that was the model for uh, for the island in the story uh, so yeah, it definitely has had a, a very deep and lasting effect on a lot of people that have seen the film. And actually, I was watching um, a Drift in Tokyo again the other day because um, because I'm preparing that for a release later this year. And Mira Tomikazu is uh, is really amazing in this when there's his dueling against uh, Riki Takuchi because of Riki's cheat throwing away uh, uh, Marita's uh, little sister. I think uh, it's quite a, an odd and, you know, you don't see many motorcycle duels that are set up like that, but uh, it's a, I love that scene and uh, he's really cool in it. And the whole thing is quite cool, you know, that sort of like men, let's just deal with it, let's have the duel and then, like, that's it, we don't speak about it anymore, you know. It's, it's very of its time for sure. I mean, I think most of it is pretty insane if you watch it nowadays as well, the sort of... Uh, sexuality and uh for example the scene in which uh ricky and this this quite naive girl are on a bike and ricky's some friends of his on bicycles run drive by naked and he stops his bike and he takes off his clothes and he tells the girl take your clothes off now you know like uh, we're going on this bike naked and she doesn't really want to but uh he forces her to do it anyway you know it's a it's not really something you could do nowadays to be honest but it's sort of so campy uh that i think uh it's hard to hate, to be honest. I think this, the scene that stuck out for me the most was the, the bathhouse scene where they first kind of see each other for the first time. Um, just because it's done in such a striking way and there's a lot of nudity, but it's not done in a kind of lurid or exploitative way. It's very kind of just happenstance, I would imagine, or that's how I felt. Um, and then watching the disc again, there's this kind of archival interview with Obayashi where he kind of goes into that sequence and how how important it was for him and how he sort of said that uh, everyone should be <laughs> on the set for the scene. And it was just, it was just really interesting. Um, 
yeah, I just I, I love how it was shot and made. I think it's it stands out in his his filmography. It might not be my favorite of his, but I think it's probably his best film in my opinion that I've seen so far at least. Yeah, I think stylistically it's also I say this on the commentary as well, probably his most restrained film. Mm. I mean, it's got the switch stri- uh, the switching back and forth between black and white and color. Uh at very unexpected moments and occasionally even within one shot. Yeah. But aside from that, it's it's a fairly, let's say, conventional style that he uses. Certainly, in you know, in relation to uh, his most of his other work, uh, it's not it's not nearly as uh, outrageously stylized as uh, as the other films in the set or his later anti-war films or House, for that matter. But in fairness, I think Island Closest to Heaven is is also incredibly restrained and it's sort of a lead-up point to this and it does sort of have a good balance um, in the first two films of uh, Girl Left Through Time and uh, School in the Crosshairs, I guess, were more following up from... He was probably pushed and he was, and he does say that, that he was asked to make films like House. And then the last two films in the set of uh, Island Closest to Heaven and um, this are probably more... Maybe, I mean, I'm just saying that uh, it could be that um, maybe he wanted to do something not like House uh, and do films completely the opposite to them, more classically shot, uh, even more so with with Island Closest to Heaven than this, uh, because that's a lot more straightforward in all all respects. Um, But this is sort of a blend because it does have a little, the sort of black and white uh, and color adds quite a bit of of something to it, uh, apart from... From, from that but, but there is a lot of yeah it's just a lot more fun it's a really sort of campy I really think it's a campy film I mean I think obviously Takuichi Diki really uh, is absolutely perfect for the film well the film is perfect for him and it's a sort of it's just it's a fun film to watch uh. for sure I was going to say the black and white and colour thing The uh, Ricky even uh, references that doesn't he his character says that he's an unusual guy because he 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 dreams in monochrome <laughs> where most people dream in color i thought that was really interesting as well yeah it's also kind of it's also kind of misleading what he says that because you expect you know when the changes occur that it goes into a dream sequence because he said yeah that. for sure it's, it's not the case at all <laughs> keeps you on your toes but yeah i i just love how it's kind of like a, a film about eternal summer isn't it it's like it's not wanting to grow up and and staying youthful and and freedom and and obviously the motorbike is kind of the epitome of freedom in a sense with the open road and wherever you can go but then also having the island being quite self-contained it's, it's i don't know there's so much you could kind of pull from it um that's why i think it's going to be one that's going to be really standing up to rewatches because you're going to get more from it every time you see it it's also interesting as a coming-of-age film on the set because the other three films are also coming-of-age-type uh, films in, in the fact that they're set in, in schools or with with young kids uh, who experience sort of situations that make them grow up. Uh, and yet the other films are so innocent and this film is a coming-of-age in a quite different uh, way to the other three films. There's, there's, it's It's... Because Ricky is so charming, I guess it, it does have that sort of innocent cuteness uh, to it. But yeah, as you mentioned, like the there is a lot, there is some nudity in it, and a lot of just sort of flippant, uh, sort of sexual tones towards women <laughs> many times in it. So it does sort of stick out from the other three in the set in that respect. I guess yeah, motorcycles and 
and Ricky or a person like him, even though he was just uh, new at the time, you know, you can't have something too innocent uh, because it's not such an innocent world, I guess, uh, when you're dealing with uh, motorbikes and, and, and that sort of stuff, I, I guess. It is wild to see a young Ricky, though, because, I mean, obviously I've just recently seen Deadly Outlaw Wrecker, which kind of blew my mind. I, I just went instantly went into my top 10 of, definitely top 10 of Mike, but like pretty high up in my all-time list, I think. Um, but obviously things like the Dead or Alive trilogy, like he comes loaded in my head with a lot of this kind of um, genre stuff. So to see him in this young, young role, this wasn't his first role though, was it, Tom? I think you said in your commentary he already had a, a little bit of a, a career starting. I, no, I think this was actually his debut film. Um, oh, so maybe in television he'd been... Yeah, it's definitely his debut film. And uh, basically the story goes that he was living uh, in Kyushu and working at a bank and he wanted to become an actor. So he had some savings and he quit his job and he got on his motorcycle and he drove to Tokyo. <laughs> and uh, s somehow he got snapped up by his his co-star in the film Tomokazu Miura, uh, his talent agency. And uh, I, I I speculate also in the commentary that this is because a certain physical resemblance between the two, which is not unusual for uh, the Japanese film industry to look for younger versions of actors who are already famous. And uh, yeah, then so when there was the audition for this film. Uh, he told that story and Obayashi was like, okay, well, you're perfect for this role. You got it. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, he was, he was very young and, and inexperienced as an actor. And um, I think that really shines through in, in his performance and really adds to the character and to the charm of the film. I also think that in spite of, you know, the, the somewhat dubious uh, gender politics in some of the scenes in the film, <laughs> uh, his, his character I think very often comes across as as the weaker, more immature, and more insecure of the couple. Yeah, and that the girl is much more, you know, much more wise about the ways of the world, really. Uh, and it's well, certainly it is her much, island. Yeah, <laughs> good point. And she's certainly much more clear on what she wants and then goes for it, whereas he is sort of like his character, sort of like you know, like the moratorium generation, as they say in Japan. You know, don't really want to accept the responsibilities of adulthood and all the pressures that come with it. And he's sort of sort of drifting still. And she is really hands-on. It's like, okay, I want this. I want this motorbike. And I want to get on your motorbike and then drive around. And next time, I'm just going to get on your motorbike and go away. And you won't know when I'll be back. <laughs> so the, that definition of the that characterization of, of uh, the main male protagonist is really really interesting and it really adds a lot to the film there's definitely that double standard what? isn't there where he lives his life a certain way and then when she starts to kind of enamor herself to that way of life he starts to get scared and, and almost wants her to pull back i also thought it was interesting that it's you know as much as he falls in love with with um i forget what the character's called now but um kawako harada's character um he also kind of falls in love with the island too which is which is really sweet as well, like that way of life of you know being over yeah. there with those type of people, and and uh, the reverse is also true that the more she falls for him, the more she falls for his motorbike. Exactly, it's almost yeah. the motorbike. The motorbike is almost like the third the third element in the menage a trois. You know, and at the end, they just decide, okay, the three of them living together would be best. 
So they shared in the recycle. <laughs> That's it. Um, I remember you, actually after after this uh, film, he did another sort of similar film called the the, the Monster Bus. Did did you ever see that one one Tom? Uh, him no. and a bus and a, a woman. Uh, it's 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 uh, maybe due to the popularity of uh, this. Uh, it's a similar character, and it's a, a Nikatsu film from uh, about a year or two after. Uh, you can see it on Amazon uh, and the Nikatsu channel on Amazon in Japan, but it's never been released. Uh, Otherwise, outside of Japan, I don't think it's even been been released on on DVD in Japan. Uh, but uh, it's a uh, yeah, it's a very similar character, like a silly, immature, a uh, chasing tale. Uh, Takuichi Niki, who uh, with the help of a bus, uh, he's, he's a bus driver, and uh, a girl. He's a very sort of mature girl, an older girl that he's after, and uh, with the help of this, uh, him attacking another bus. It uh, he ends up getting her. It's it's a uh, it's not as good as actually as it sounds, um, but it has. Uh, <laughs> it sounds really amazing actually when you when you talk about the film. But and I, I wish it was as good as it, it sounded because uh, it'd be a film I'd love to uh, release. But um, yeah, if you get the chance, uh, Tom, to watch it on, on, you can get a free uh, you know fifteen day rental of uh, on Amazon Prime in Japan to watch the Nikatsu channel, and, and uh, it's one of the few films that are on there that is quite good. Uh, so. Uh, if you've got the chance, yeah, please, uh, please watch. You know, if anybody has, happens to be in uh, in Japan and uh, has access to Amazon Prime, uh, this the Nikatsu channel has this monster bus, uh, Takujiriki, uh, a year or two after his motorbike. <laughs> nice. It sounds like Labyrinth of Dreams by Sogoishi a little bit. <laughs> it's not that that cool. It's uh, really, really like eighties proper eighties silly uh, Japanese uh, film, but Takujiriki. Is hamming it up uh, he, at his highest, at a very high level. Well, I say that, but then again, he did do films like uh, Tokyo Tribe and Fudo and uh, Dead or Alive. Uh, I think at at a, a more a twelve on the uh, on the uh, the dial <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So we mentioned earlier that Kiwaka Harada is um, is Tomoya's is an older sister. Um, it is. I thought she yes. was incredible in this film as well. Again, I don't know if I've seen her in anything else, but um, I thought she was just wonderful. I don't know if you have any background on her at all, Tom. Um, I think, yeah, same. You know, she was sort of like a like a, a newcomer, largely at the time, I believe. And uh, obviously the, the, the family connection will have helped mm. getting her cast. Um, but yeah, she, had a, she would also go on to have a, a long career and become essentially a household name in Japan as an actress. Was she an idol like as well, a singer as well? Or? Um, I'm not sure if she if she's sang. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised. It, was so <laughs> yeah, it was so common at the time to, to be doing that. Yeah, but and, and actually we forget that uh, Riki Takeuchi became a sort of uh, idol as well. Um, May obviously many years later, but uh, if you happen to check his videos out on YouTube, they are quite uh, amazing. Uh, it's so it's idol pop, um, sung with young young girls and uh, in very beat the beat of uh, Japanese pop idols of of today. So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think he does it anymore. Do, does he, Tom? I mean, it was a few years when he went sort of like <laughs> doing this proper sort of idol, <laughs> insane sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's, it's, I think about. 
when he was really like the king of V cinema and his public profile was sort of like he had his his built-in audience. That was when he started doing some music as well. Yeah, but but you'd expect him to do like uh, you know Yazawa type like rock and roll, and he ended up doing just doing like sort of girl pop idol, and they had a different name for it. And I remember there was some interview I saw where he was being interviewed, and and they, they were like, "Oh, I love that song." It's like, no, 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 you're talking about the other guy. And then he's like, "Let me just go get him." And then he just goes out of the room, and just comes back, and it's him, obviously. But he's like, uh, you know, oh yeah, I hear you're speaking to my brother outside. You know, uh, you know, I've, <laughs> I mean, it's really over the top. He was. Doing, the way that the, what he does uh, um, over the years, uh, he's amazing. I mean, I think Tom, you probably know a lot more about his uh, his career, but uh, it's it's a quite quite varied to say the least. Uh, yes, um, well, most of it is V cinema. You know, most of it is just straight to video action and gangster movies. And uh, but he's done some really interesting stuff. It's not just you know he, he seems like this sort of vain star like he's the, like he was the reincarnation of joe shishido you know back in the nikatsu days from branded to kill but he's actually he has his own production company and he actually i when i first the first time i came with him going back to the all roads lead to ricky was that him and i his company ricky productions and i did land of hope the shion sono film so that's when i first started uh, doing production so yeah yeah you're right he's uh he's really branched out yeah he's, i mean he's produced uh, like art films and stuff you know so mm. stuff that you would never associate with Riki Takeuchi is his company has put money into and supported he appears in the um, Yakuza video game series as well by Sega <laughs> he appears as a character in that so I think he's even doing one that's coming out next year so that's he's still <laughs> still got his finger in that pie as well yeah well that game really uh, so much of that is based on the kind of films that made him famous, you know, all the straight-to-video sure. Yakuza stuff. The 90s, 1990s style of Yakuza film is really, you know, the, 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 the main inspiration for the, for the Sega Yakuza game. <laughs> and hence all the guys, about... all the actors that appear in it, yeah. Yeah, they've, they've done about seven or eight of them now, but they've just announced that the next one is going to be a kind of um, Edo period samurai uh, game, but with all the characters from the Yakuza series, so I don't know how they're going to do that, really. But it's going to be interesting. Well, I mean, the Yakuza. If you look, if you look back at the history, they they date from the Edo period, right? Uh, they they do, weren't they samurai. Do. They were they were like the out literally the outcasts in the, in Edo in the Edo hierarchy in that caste system. And uh, so, you know, if you look back at the early Yakuza films. Then, uh, I mean, going back to the Toei films from the 60s, those were period films, but usually set around the turn of the of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. But if you go back further and look at examples, then it's nearly always Edo period setting. It's just a, a Jidai Geki. And uh, Satoichi. You know, Satoichi sure. is basically a Yakuza. And that's, that's certainly Edo period story. But... Well, I, I moving away from. I mean, he's done a million of those V cinemas, but my favorite series of his has to be the Hiromi, Hiromi Kun. I think it was. Um, there used to be this character Kaoru Chan, which was from the Boys Be Ambitious series, and there was a spin-off of that. I think it's Hiromi Kun, where he continues that role, and he's like, it's, I think they made up five or six of them. Uh, these these series in which he plays like a high schooler. 
but obviously he's he's like a massive like 30 or 40 year old guy like in high school and he's a bit he's a bit thick and uh always trying to look after his sister who who he doesn't want to go to Tokyo and, and like uh like change into like a gal so and she's from this in, this innocent girl and he, he's always looking after her it's really uh Osaka style over the top comedy uh very one joke but uh the joke seems to last for for quite well over six six films or so uh I remember I think just finding out by chance like I was in maybe a, a Tsutaya or something like that and saw this uh Takuichi Diki v cinema dvd at the, at the time and uh oh, what's this and i bought it and i ended up getting hooked into the whole series uh did you ever ever see those ones those on top i think i saw i think i saw one of them yeah it's, i think it's one of those cases where like a little bit later on where it's in the, yeah. into the 21st century and and v cinema sort of on the downward trajectory and the the budgets became smaller and smaller and then you get these examples of Yakuza films that are about stories happening in like the post-war era, but they don't have the money to put in like period vehicles and such. And I think what they did really wisely with the films that Adam mentions is that they made that a virtue, right? It became, the, the anachronisms became part of, of the joke because the boys be ambitious series is basically about, you know, growing up in, in the late sixties and early seventies in Japan. Um, or specifically in Osaka and from a very like blue collar environment and so uh, they turned they turned the the, the 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 drawbacks into into advantages for that series yeah it's all roads lead to Ricky though I mean you know he just have such an amazing career and uh, I never thought that uh, you know when you think of Obayashi you never make that connection to, to, to Ricky they almost seem like in sort of two separate worlds if you're a fan of uh of the cinema or like the Mike Takashi films or you know the you're watching Dead or Alive you don't expect that uh, the film in a sort of maybe you know Obayashi set one of the main films would uh, lead Riki Taguchi I mean it's it's sort of it even blew, made me sort of uh, think twice uh, when I first uh, saw the film you know it's uh, I never really yeah thought thought of the the connection there but i guess uh, yeah all, all we roads 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 it to ricky <laughs> yeah obayashi later made obayashi later made uh, his version of the abesada story that the one that was the base the basis of in the realm of the senses by oshima mm. and he appears in that film as well it's like he, he made a <sighs> he made a cameo as like hey you know i used to be in that obayashi movie that everybody likes <laughs> I think he plays like a, a, a wartime officer in the Japanese army or something. Yeah, it's uh, quite a quite a career, Obayashi. I mean, just this set itself, uh, it's so varied. I mean, uh, it's only uh, only in, uh, in what, four years or five years? Spanning across five years. And yet, uh, from the black and white shots of his motorbike, Her Island, and the, uh, the beautiful, very calm and serene paradise of caledonia in uh island closest to heaven and then these sort of uh crazy styles of uh nazi take nazi type of people take over the school in uh school in the crosshairs it's quite a, a variety isn't it you know uh he's quite a quite a director and it's a it's it's everybody talks about him and i'm always surprised that uh none of the films have ever been released uh outside of japan but then again you know work trying to release them for so many years uh, makes me realize why nobody wants to it's a bloody pain dealing with these studios and obayashi 
even though we think of him nowadays, especially with the anti-war trilogy, as being this proper, like, hardcore independent filmmaker, you know, the majority of films were made with big studios. Mm. Uh, you know, saying the fact that obviously he came from Dentsu and a big commercial commercial director but you know the nowadays the thought of uh, Obayashi I guess since the last few years when he's become a little more well known again with uh, his recent films it's just been that sort of hardcore independent but these films are, are, are complete, completely different in that respect those major studios and a lot of the films is Toho, Shoujuku you know all those big companies uh, made his films So is there any more beyond this that you want to release or is this you, you've you've reached your quota with Obayashi? Well, I mean, uh, the 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 problem is also, yeah. I mean, it's it's the Toho stuff. I mean, I was looking at um, uh, what's the one that ever Drifting Classroom is the one that that everybody mm. loves, uh, and that's also a rights issue problem. I mean, it's never even been released on DVD in Japan, so uh, it's it's just it's it's hard to work with these bloody studios. <laughs> But Tom, Tom, obviously, you know, you, you're doing uh, you're doing it now with your new uh, work with uh, with distribution in, in Radiance. So um, I'm sure you're st- starting to uh, understand my stresses. <laughs> yeah, well, I was sort of aware of it before, you know, having done books and trying to get the rights to using pictures and stills. Uh, you run into similar problems. Um, but yes, I mean, I've been working for Radiance Films for a couple of months now. And there's one thing that has just been dragging on and on, basically from the first day I started working for them and still has not been resolved. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the thick of what Adam has been describing. The wheels turn very slowly in Japan, unless they're motorbike wheels and it's his motorbike island. Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know if you want to talk any more about the other two films. It's got Girl yeah. Who Leapt Through Time and um, The Island Closest to Heaven. Yeah, Tom, if you have any thoughts. Uh... Well, th- I think The Girl Who Leapt Through Time is really uh, one of another one of Obayashi's much-loved classics. Um, you know, it's based, it's based on a novel, um, but the, the subsequent adaptations of the novel in, in various forms, including uh, the anime by uh, Hosoda, I think, you know, they exist largely thanks to Obayashi's film. And um, watching it, I hadn't seen it before. I watched it for the first time maybe two years ago or so. And then I was like, hey, hold on. What what Obayashi is doing here is basically what Kamoto started doing later. You know, the whole stop motion with with Mm. people like floating, floating through the streets and and, uh, alleyways. Uh, that's something that Obayashi basically sort of pioneered. I mean, there's, there's other people that have done that, I think, but um, it, it was really, it's really interesting that, you know, coming from a, a background of knowing and writing about Kamoto and then sort of going back to discover Obayashi's work, there's some really fascinating parallels between them. Really? And okay. uh, I think uh, Tsukamoto. My impression is that Kamoto, uh, uh, because he's always been a real film lover, uh, you know, he sort of absorbed Obayashi's bag of tricks and uh, and then sort of like, I wouldn't say refined them, but sort of shaped them to his own needs. Like if you look at, if you watch Girl Left Through Time, 
and then after that you watch uh, his first uh, official short uh, the adventure of denji kozo mm. i mean the similarities are striking i mean both of them are like time travel stories and they create they they feature very s- similar stylistic effects in them um but i did contact kamoto about this i think last year or so and and Sakamoto was like, I don't know Obayashi's films that well, so <laughs> I don't have any comments for you. <laughs> Wait, I I wonder. Uh, maybe it's forgotten. <laughs> could be, um, but it's also it's also in the you know the 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 recent turn into and overt anti-war films, mm. in which the two of them parallel each other. Um, so they did appear in the media. Over the past few years, as sort of like kindred kindred spirits of of cinema, who became sort of like this you know, radical, ra- kind of radicalized, humanistic uh, warriors for for peace in Japan. Love that peace, peace to very very ab- abstract uh, over the top cinema, but. Uh... You know, yeah, two of them. Um, yeah. I mean, if if everything is peaceful, nothing is peaceful, right? That's what that's what all <laughs> of Tsukamoto's early films were about. Like, you know, people were so used to to peace that they got numb, and then in his films, <laughs> he wanted to wake them up. And then later, he was sort of became more aware of what. Okay, how how did we get to this peaceful state in the first place? And uh, I think Obayashi, uh, yeah. Well, Obayashi, of course, is a different generation, and and. Uh, more or less experienced to some degree wartime and, and its effects. And then somehow around the same time, which I think also has to do with the increasing attempts by, by uh, uh, the Liberal Democratic Party to uh, adapt uh, the constitution, to change the constitution uh, uh, away from the, from the pacifistic uh, what would you say? Like you know, the Article Nine that says Japan will never have an, an army again. They've been trying to scrap that from from uh, the Japanese constitution for uh, for quite a while. And as that became more and more likely, both Tsukamoto and Obayashi started making these very overt anti-war films. And he's, he's Tsukamoto just finished his latest film, didn't he? Uh, yeah, so, with a so, similar uh, theme. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, probably, yes, uh, starting with Obayashi, ending with Tsukamoto and having Tom in the middle, I think it's probably a, a good place to uh, start wrapping up this 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 uh, this, this, this uh, talk. For sure. Well, the box set itself comes out on the 17th of October, I believe, right? Yes, uh, just a few weeks away. So this is uh, the first people can, he- can hear us talk about it and... Uh, We'll have a few more episodes uh, on the box itself to uh, spread out the love across everybody that's been connected because uh, there are so many people that have been involved with this. And, and Tom, thank you very much for, uh, for appearing on, this, uh, on, on the commentary and also on this. Uh, You're very welcome. The commentary is wonderful, Tom. It's always such a pleasure to hear you talk about film. And uh, yeah, I hope you come on again soon. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's up to Adam, of course. But, uh, I'd, be, I'd be happy to. Yes. I, do, I only can tease it here, but I do have a film that uh, I know is one of Tom's favorites, uh, 
that I am working on the remastering now and I will be asking you and I'm sure you'll be very happy to uh, work on it and uh, we'll have you back uh, for sure talking about that film that is yet to be named uh, later, early, late, uh, sometime early next year or middle next year. Wonderful. Thank you. That's a good sizzle there. I've got no idea what you're talking about, but <laughs> I just have to wait like the rest of them. Okay. Well, if you're not following Tom uh, on Twitter yet, it's at Midnight Mess. And obviously Adam is at Third Window across most things, right? Third Window Films, you know where he's at. Um, and I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd as at Benji Box with a Y. But yeah, please go over to Terracotta Distribution and pre-order this disc at the discounted price. Um, I think as well they're, they're already boxing these up, aren't they? So I think if you pre-order it, you'll probably get it a little bit sooner than uh, than retail. For sure, you will. Uh, Terracotta always sends out early because uh, he's scared of how long it takes to post to, for things to arrive nowadays. So he sends it out early <laughs> and it ends up arriving early anyway. So yes, if you order it there, you'll get it uh, before uh, most other retailers. There you go. So order it today. You'll probably get it by the weekend. So uh, <laughs> That's too soon, but... <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll be back soon next time on the Third Window Films podcast. Two flights up by the third window from the right. Two flights up by the third Window from the right The third window from the right Two flights up That's the one with the shade pulled down That's the one